0: Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about the upcoming talks at each of our services or to listen to other talks, please visit christchurchlondon.org. Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be with you all this morning. Um, for those who I haven't met yet, my name is Natalie, and I'm one of the leaders here at Christchurch in the Central Service wonderful to have all of you guys. If you're new in particular, please stick around as I'd love to meet you um, and to get to know you. Um, We are in March. Can you believe it? Time has flown. We're in the throes of Lent. Has anyone um, given up anything for Lent? Anybody? I've had a few people tell me they gave up Instagram cop outs. that's what I say Um, I decided to give up sugar and I'm not gonna lie I'm struggling I really am struggling I mean it's cold how is one supposed to survive without a cinnamon roll in this weather I don't know Uh, amen right Um, so pray for me I'd really appreciate that Um, So, as many of you know, we've been studying the Gospel of Luke, um, and our aim is to get through uh, the book by the end of the year. But we're going to pause on that. Don't worry, we're coming back for those who are enjoying it. We're going to pause on that for the next four weeks, and we're focusing on a different topic as part of our life to the full program. Um, And as leaders, we've been really convicted about the need for greater discipleship in our church community. Uh, A couple days ago, I was walking to the station with a friend and I commented on how, uh, despite our difficulty at times to relate to the times of the early church, we are actually probably more alike to the early church now than we've ever been. Um, Our society and our culture is making it increasingly difficult to live faithfully as a follower of Jesus. And with that, comes the necessity to understand what it looks like to live differently and distinctly for Jesus in a context that's hostile towards him and faith generally. And that's why last autumn, if you were with us, you know that we launched this Life to the Full teaching series. Um, And it's based on what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus promises that a life with him is one that does not rob us of joy, peace and morality that the ways of this world often do, but that this life is full, enriching and ultimately leads to eternal life. And to grasp this way of life is simply to understand what it means to be loved by Jesus, to learn from him, and to live like him in our daily lives. So therefore, alongside our main study of Luke's gospel this year, we're going to be taking moments throughout the year to focus on key aspects of our discipleship journey. And this month, I'm pleased to say that our focus is going to be on generosity. <laughs> yeah, some people are like, this was not the day to invite my friends and family to church. She's going to talk about money. <laughs> Now, I'm currently reading through my annual Bible plan, and I've almost finished Leviticus, everyone's favorite book of the Bible, riveting stuff. Oh, okay, fair enough. I accept that. Okay. (laughs) Um, Whilst we may find it difficult to relate to all the specifics of Old Testament Jewish law, um, we can appreciate God's desire to speak into and to curate every aspect of our lives of the lives of his people. God cares about everything that we do. And that includes how we use our money and possessions. And so we're gonna be teaching on generosity for the next four Sundays. And then we're gonna be discussing this more in our community groups using this resource called The Journey of Generosity. Um, designed by Generosity Path, which is an organization that's dedicated to helping Christians cultivate a generous and giving heart. Now, as we embark on this journey, I want to throw out just a couple of disclaimers here, okay? First of all, this series is not about preaching specific goals and checkpoints to say, if you've reached this place, then you're like the perfect, generous Christian, None of us have arrived in this area. And quite frankly, it's really not about that anyway. The next month is really about opening our hearts to God and for him to speak to us personally in this area. Second Corinthians 9-7 says, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And this verse forms part of the generosity liturgy that we just pray, that we don't give out or fear or duty. Um, we're not giving based on fulfilling a quota or directive, but from the heart. And if you're willing to be honest and open with God over these next four years four years, and next four weeks, <laughs> or years, it's a long, it's a long game, <laughs> then there's a great opportunity to give and to grow further whatever that might look like for each of us. Secondly, I recognize that for some people, talking about money or giving in a church context might be uncomfortable or even painful due to previous experiences. I want to say that I see that, I recognize that. I personally have been in church environments in the past where I've seen people be shamed or manipulated or even humiliated into giving into the church. And it grieves me when I hear about other people who've experienced that as well. I want to assure you, first of all, Christ Church London is not about that life. (laughs) I wouldn't be here for 10 years if it was, I promise you that. Um, And it's a safe space to process and heal from some of these things. So please, if this applies to anyone here, don't hesitate to reach out to myself or Angie or Barry or any of the community group leaders. If you want to talk more about this issue or you want someone to pray with you and to support you, we are absolutely here for you. Now, with that said, Why have we chosen to talk about generosity now? Surely at a time where we have the cost of living crisis, people are struggling to pay their bills, people are going on strikes because they're not getting paid enough. It's quite insensitive to start talking about how people should use their money and essentially suggesting that we should give more away. Well, I want to argue that this is exactly the right time that we should be talking about this issue. Because when the world faces great uncertainty and the structures that it relies upon start to break, that is when the church should be there to provide an answer in the hope of the way of Christ. And I believe, and I hope that you believe as well, that God's word stands the test of time where other things fall away. And so we have to look to the word of God to understand how to live In these times, one cannot deny the impact that money has on our lives, our hearts, and the world right now, and how powerful that is. Jesus says in Matthew 6 24, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the word that's translated here as money in this verse from the original language actually says mammon, which many people at the time understood that not to just be physical money, but the idolization of wealth and material possessions, an earthly deity that's looking for more worshippers. And it certainly feels like now that the God of this age is mammon. The 90s rap group Wu-Tang Clan said it best when they said, (laughs) cash rules everything around me. Now let's take a moment to see what we're dealing with here through the lens of culture because it gives us an insight as to what the landscape is right now. First of all, there are many studies that show the impact that money and wealth has on human behaviour research published in the journal of psychological science found that people of lower economic status were better at reading other others' facial expressions an important marker of empathy than wealthier people and it's not just actual wealth that has an impact either even perceived wealth can have an effect UC Berkeley researchers observed that when two students played Monopoly, with one having been given a great deal more money than the other, the wealthier player expressed an initial discomfort, but then went on to act aggressively, taking up more space and moving his pieces more loudly, and even taunting the player with less money. To be honest, that just sounds like a games night with my family members. (laughs) Uh, Secondly, I love to watch documentaries. Anyone a big fan of documentaries here? Nothing makes my Friday night more than having a glass of wine and watching a Netflix docu-series about serial killers. It's wonderful. (laughs) And um, one documentary that particularly struck a chord with me recently was The Divide by Catherine Round. And it brings to light the effects that the growing wealth gap has on all strata of society in the US and in the UK. And I just want to read an excerpt on an article um, that discusses this film. Janet, a Walmart shop assistant in Louisiana, is so visibly stressed by working in a very understaffed store that a customer tells her she looks as if she's going to have a heart attack. Rochelle, a care worker in Newcastle, is miserable that her hours are so long that she can't get home to put her children to bed. She also wishes she was better paid so that she didn't owe 4,000 pounds in catalogue bills from buying clothes and shoes on credit for her children. Leah, a KFC worker from Richmond, Virginia, works six days a week but is still behind on her rent and juggles calls from debt recovery companies. Everyone in Catherine Round's new documentary, The Divide, is struggling, trying to improve their lives. Everyone is feeling the pressure. Even the wealthy are scrabbling to stay happy we meet Wall Street psychologist, Olden, who wants to get ahead and join the top 1% of earners and who is working so hard to save up, to move his family into a gated community that he gets home too late for story time with his daughters. When he has back surgery, he can't afford to convalesce and is in his office the next morning. Now, let me be clear. I'm not suggesting that it's wrong to be successful or to work hard and to provide a good life for you and your family. 1 Timothy 6.10 is often highly misquoted as saying money is the root of all evil when actually that's wrong. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. <laughs> money on its own isn't an evil thing. (laughs) Focus guys, money on its own isn't an evil thing. Without money, we wouldn't be able to do much of what the church does today. However, when we make money an ultimate thing and the object of our worship, that is when it leads us into all kinds of broken and destructive desires and behaviours. However, whilst culture might have a lot to say about money, the Bible has plenty to say too. There are, in fact, over 2,000 verses in the Bible about money and wealth, and 40% of Jesus' parables were about money. A Forbes article entitled, Is the Bible the Ultimate Financial Guide, identified that the Bible is full of wisdom on investment, debt management, And the benefits of charitable giving. So as a church, we believe that living a life of generosity, as taught in scripture, is the key to living a life of freedom. And that includes freedom from financial shame and insecurity. The destructive impact that the love of money and possessions has on our hearts, our homes and our communities and the hustle and hurry culture that often leads to burnout, anxiety, and hopelessness. And freedom too, to trust God with our money and for him to provide for our needs, to give generously and experience the joy that comes with it, and to live in a way that shows where our greatest treasure is found. So where do we start? Where does our journey begin? Well, it begins with God, the author of generosity. John 3.16, one of the best known Bible verses says, for God so loved the world that he gave, right? At the heart of the Christian gospel is a loving and generous father who meets our sin and brokenness by giving up his most precious possession his only son. We start with God because what we believe about God ultimately shapes how we live our lives in response to him. We just heard from Barry and Angie about the steps course. And if any of you guys have been on the steps course, you know that one of the first things they start off with is reconciling our thoughts and feelings about God first because it impacts how we relate to ourselves and other people. If we truly believe that God is loving and generous, then it's much easier to give generously as a result. But if we do not believe that God is loving and generous, then we're prone to living selfishly, focusing on our own needs, because we don't think that God is looking out for us. At the beginning of creation, this idea that God might be holding out on us and withholding something, something good was planted in the minds of humanity through the serpent's deception in Genesis 3. Let's look at that passage together. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, the irony of this story is that Adam and Eve had an entire garden to choose from. God had blessed them with stewardship and dominion over his creation. However, Eve was deceived into believing that God was keeping something better from her. The serpent caused her to question God's words with a lie. And lies lead to our mistrust of God, which leads to our self-interest, which then leads to sin and ultimately to our destruction. Um, my mum's here this Sunday. Uh, and, yeah, okay. Um, and I, I basically said to her, I'm going to share this story. And I just want you to know before I go up on stage that this is what I'm going to say. Um, but when I was growing up, just like all of us, I guess, when we were teenagers, um, I was desperate to seem so cool and trendy to all my friends. And I figured that the only way that I was going to achieve this objection objective was to get more cash. Um, But I wasn't satisfied with my weekly pocket money. Um, But I was vaguely aware that my mum had opened up a savings account for me, and had been putting in all my birthday money into this account. And so after some digging, I managed to find the passbook for the savings account, and I went to the bank along with my passport to withdraw the money. Yeah, I know, so bad. <laughs> and I'd love to say that, you know, I spent it wisely or maybe I invested it. I don't know how I would have done that at 15, but maybe I found a way to invest it. Um, but of course, I didn't do that. I spent it on stupid things like nail extensions, makeup and an expensive birthday gift for a boy that I liked in school. Um, tell your children, don't do that. That's very, very Um, silly (laughs) of course when my mum stormed into my room one night with the passbook in one hand and a bank statement in the other I knew that I had been found out and I was so heartbroken because my mum is really furious that's my dad's side that's where I get my hot-headedness from not from my mum Um, But she was really upset and she said that she was disappointed in me. And all parents know that when they tell their children, I'm disappointed in you, oh, that hurts. (laughs) Um, Again, the irony was that the money belonged to me. It was money that people had given to me and my parents, in their wisdom, were stewarding this money for my long-term future rather than short-term pleasure. Um, And in the same way, God had kept the tree of knowledge of good and evil away from Adam and Eve, not because he wanted to withhold something better from them, not because he felt like he didn't want them to be wise, but because his wisdom far exceeded their own. And he knew the destruction that would come as a result of them tasting it and delighting in the knowledge of evil. And despite this... God's response throughout the Old Testament continues to be to graciously give to his people in the hope that they will return to him. Here's some examples. He makes a covenant with Abraham that he will make him into a great nation that will bless the entire world. But when Abraham is waiting on this promised child to come to fruition and it doesn't happen in the time that he wants it to he and Sarah decide they're going to take matters into their own hands and they force their handmaid, Hagar, to have a son. And what happens? It causes jealousy and bitterness and family divisions. And then God generously delivers this nation, Israel, from slavery in Egypt and he promises that he's going to give them a land of their own, flowing with milk and honey. But when they face challenges in the wilderness on the way, they're quick to turn to idolatry and complaints, believing that God should have left them in Egypt. And then God still gives them this land that he's promised and he seeks to govern over them as their God. However, what do they do? They demand instead that they want an earthly king like all the other nations, believing that God is withholding greatness from them. Humanity is constantly falling for this grand lie that God is holding out on them. But what is his response to the rebellion of the people that he's created. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. God's son Jesus gave up all his power and authority and glory and riches in heaven, and he came to earth. To become poor and lowly, ultimately giving up his life so that we, through this grace, might become rich. And not necessarily through material possessions or wealth, but with the priceless gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And that same gift makes us co-heirs into Christ's eternal kingdom, which I can tell you is worth far more than any earthly treasure you can receive on this earth. Now, I'm sure we're familiar with the story of the prodigal son in Luke's gospel. This father has two sons, and in both of them, in their own way, believe that their father is holding out on them. You have the younger son who demands to have his inheritance now, which is essentially telling his father, you're as good as dead to me, so let me have what's mine. Despite being able to enjoy all the blessings of his father's estate as the son, it's not enough. He wants to enjoy his father's treasure without his father's existence. And of course, he goes off and he blows everything and he ends up in extreme poverty, and the scripture says that he comes to his senses and decides to return home and offer his labor as a servant. After all, how could he expect anything else than that? But despite the son's betrayal, what does the father do? He gives the son what he doesn't deserve in that moment. He rushes out to embrace him to reinstate him as a son and put on a celebratory feast to welcome him home. And then we see the elder son who's standing in the shadows in envy. And again, despite having all the blessings of his father's estate as a son, it's not enough. He goes and he complains to his father that he's never been recognized or celebrated for his loyalty. However, The father is so patient with his son. Instead of chastising him for his jealousy and not being forgiving, he reminds him that he hasn't lost anything and will not lose anything by celebrating his brother's return. Everything the father has will always belong to him. And he invites him to participate in the joy of grace that's being bestowed upon the lost son who has returned home. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I can definitely relate to both of these characters. I can think back to times where I was like the younger son. I wish that I could have all the blessings of a fulfilled life in Jesus, but without the cost or the sacrifice that comes with it. You know, I wish that life could be way less complicated and way more fun if I could just do whatever I wanted and still be able to to have it all. But of course, every time I've had to leave the pigsty that I've ended up in and return home. And every time Jesus has met me with his gentleness, his forgiveness and his truth. And when I felt like the older brother, when I've demanded having a soft life as a reward for my Christian devotion, Jesus has patiently reminded me that I already have the greatest reward that he has to offer. And that's an eternity with him. So to finish, I want to ask two questions that I want us to think about. First of all, Have you fallen into the trap of feeling like God is holding out on you? Maybe you can relate to um, the the psalmist Asaph in Psalm 80, not 83, Psalm 73, when he writes, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. It's so easy to trust God when we're winning, isn't it? It's so easy to trust God when life is easy. It's so easy to trust God when we're comfortable. But what we fail to recognize is that we're not actually trusting in God. We're trusting in ourselves and we're making it look like we're trusting in God because life is easy. But when life is difficult, when we don't get everything that we want... In this Western society, we're so used to having a faith that says, I want to have everything I can possibly have and have Jesus. And that's amazing. And we don't realize that the gospel does not promise that. It does not guarantee that we're going to get all of our heart's desires and Jesus as well. And when we recognize this, that's when we need to ask ourselves, are we really trusting in God? Do we have a heavenly perspective? Are we living lives where we deny ourselves, we pick up our cross, and we follow him? A life in Christ does not guarantee a life of wealth and financial security. The prosperity gospel that has been sinking into our doctrine lately is very much a false gospel. And it makes God's grace about what we can acquire from him rather than what he's provided for us that we don't deserve and we couldn't possibly earn. Secondly, are you willing to trust that God is a generous God even when circumstances and the culture around us think otherwise? Can you commit to believing this right here and right now, before you see the outcome of a difficult financial situation or a desired longing for God to provide. Recently, someone purchased um, a book for me called Prayer for the Night by Tish Harrison Warren. Maybe some of you have read this before. It's an amazing book about trusting God in the darkness um, of our lives and circumstances. And I love um, this portion of the book where it says this we cannot hold together human vulnerability and God's trustworthiness at the same time unless there is some certain sign that God loves us that he isn't an absentee landlord or worse a monster but we cannot divine such a sign from the circumstances of our lives or of the world We have to decide what we believe about who God is and what he is like. We have to decide if anyone keeps watch with us. It is unavoidably, even irritatingly, a decision based on doctrine. The first principles we return to again and again. The story we define our lives by. I wonder if the band could come back up. I understand the difficulty there is in trusting that God is good and generous when things are difficult. Before I started working for church, um, I'm sure everyone knows this now, um, that I I used to work as a lawyer in the public sector. And I'm not going to lie to you, life was good. I was getting paid. I was taking everyone out to dinner. I was having a great time, (laughs) Um, you know. And then I really felt that God was calling me to a life in ministry. And there were sacrifices that came along with that. And in my head, I was like, yeah, there'll be sacrifices. Obviously, I won't be earning as much, but I've made peace with that. And then I started working for church. And then the flat in Limehouse that I loved to live in with my two flatmates, I had to move out because I couldn't afford it and then the holidays and all the wonderful things that all my friends were doing as they were excelling in their careers I had to say no to because I couldn't afford it what I'm saying is I'm not standing here preaching a good word as someone who hasn't experienced it I've experienced it and I have been in tears at times asking God God are you still good are you still generous because it's really hard at the moment But I can tell you that God is good and he's generous, not necessarily because he's provided, although he has, because his word proves to us that any God that could give his only son to a people that don't deserve it, to a people that couldn't possibly earn it, if God can do that for us, God is a generous and loving God. And no matter what we go through, we stand on that word. That is what we place our hope in. Not in the tides and not in the highs and lows of life, but in scripture that tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So we're going to go into a time of worship now. And last week, if you were here You know we had a great time. If you weren't here, I'm sorry. I'm not going to act like it wasn't good. It was on fire. Okay. We had a time where we were just in the Lord's presence, where we were just in prayer for one another, and we were just being still. And I want us to just continue in that. This is an opportunity to just bring ourselves before God, to be reminded that he is good. And where we feel brokenness, where we feel like, you know what? I've been going through some stuff, Lord, and it's been really hard for me to believe that you've been good or that you're generous. Let's take this opportunity to just bring that before God. He can handle it. He's not here, you know, acting as though, oh, you should know better. God is so much more gentle and kind than we are. That's that's the reality. He is so much more approachable than we often give him credit for. He can handle the tears. He can handle the brokenness. But I want to invite you to bring it to him. Don't internalize it. Don't let it create bitterness and envy and anger. Bring it to Jesus. I'm going to be here. The prayer team are here. For anybody that wants to receive prayer, please just come to the front. Come to the sides. We'll make space If you would like someone to just pray with you through this, we're here. But we're a church family. We don't need to save face. No one needs to be ashamed or embarrassed because we've all been there. We've all gone through it. But we want to be here for you this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good and generous, Father. We thank you that you provide not just our physical needs, but more importantly, You have provided a way of salvation in Jesus. And Father, we we come before you and we repent for the times where we haven't believed that, where we felt that you're withholding something good from us. We know, Lord God, that you have held nothing back. You have relentlessly pursued us with your Son. So Father, fill our hearts And minds with the knowledge that you are good, that you give good things. And that our hearts of generosity are a response to a God that is good and generous. You are not a God who's asking us to do something that you have never done. But you're calling us to live a life that is everything that you are. So we come before you in worship. Come and speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.